0: Amma ba'd. tonight then insha'Allah Ta'ala will perhaps discuss some of the mannerisms of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in how he used to behave with his companions, in particular when it came to giving da'wah, because we can learn from the mannerisms of the Prophet ﷺ in giving da'wah, prophetic methods in teaching the people. So there are lots of different examples for different types of things that the scholars all mention are from the prophetic methods of giving da'wah or from the etiquettes of the prophet sallallahu in giving da'wah from amongst those examples there is one famous hadith that most people will have heard of the narration that talks about the 70000 who will enter paradise wa la hisab without punishment, and without accountability. There is a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ explained characteristics of certain Muslims who would enter paradise without any punishment preceding that, or without accountability preceding that, And then at the end, after the Prophet had explained those characteristics of such believers, there was somebody in the audience. He asked the Prophet, O Messenger of Allah, make dua that I am from them. That he wanted to be from those. 70,000 and in fact as the scholars say the figure is much bigger than that Due to other narrations that indicate there are additions Onto the 70,000 But one of them he said That make dua for me that I be from them And so the Prophet ﷺ said to him Anta minhum You are from them You are from them From those who will enter paradise without punishment and without accountability. Then after him, there was another man in the audience. And he said, make dua, O messenger, that I am from them too. But the Prophet ﷺ recognized that he could not give the testimony to this individual Of being from them. So now, how did the Prophet reply to him to let him know that I cannot testify that you are from them? How did he let him know? The scholars they say there's a point to be taken in the way that the Prophet replied to him in a situation where somebody asks you for something and it's not going to happen, you could just blatantly tell them no. That is a method. You could be very abrupt. You could tell them no. You could be blatant in that way. But the scholars, they say, look at how the Prophet wasallam replied. He said the famous line that is, that the other one, rikasha his name was, عِكَاشَة has preceded you in that. He's come first and he's taken that. In order to let him know indirectly that your opportunity or you are not from, the testification cannot be given for you. But the phrase that the prophet used was Somebody else has already taken it Somebody else has already come ahead of you In order to let him down in an indirect way In a way that has some good etiquette and mannerism to it That it's not abrupt, it's not no, you're not sit down It is not said in that way and so the scholars, they always use that hadith and that narration to make a point regarding the mannerism and the etiquette of the Prophet ﷺ in talking to his companions, in addressing his companions, in having that compassion in talking to them, in affairs of da'wah, in other matters. Other examples the scholars give to they say the hadith for example of Muadh ibn Jabal that there is a narration where Muadh ibn Jabal says kuntu radifan nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala himar Muadh ibn Jabal says that i was riding on a donkey behind the prophet sallallahu sallam not on a donkey of my own and the Prophet was on his donkey ahead of me. On the same donkey, the Prophet ﷺ was sat and Mu'adh bin Jabal was sat on the same donkey right behind the Prophet. ﷺ. The scholars they said again, look at the mannerisms of the Prophet. ﷺ. That he allowed his companions Mu'adh ibn Jabal Who was young too allowed him to sit On the same donkey Sharing it with him That indicates humbleness Indicates humility and modesty Of the Prophet Sallallahu If you compare that now To the people of deviation Some of these big imams of theirs as they proclaim to be so. How they are treated, how they expect the people to behave towards them, that nobody is allowed to be equal to them, near them, anywhere upon that platform with them. They are far superior to everybody else below them. It would be unimaginable for them to think that I'm going to even sit on a donkey to start with. But then on top of that, that there's going to be just another one of the ordinary people compared to the Prophet ﷺ, one of the companions, to come and sit on the donkey with him. They say, look at the example of the Prophet ﷺ how his humbleness and his modesty was, how he behaved with the companions, how he treated them with that respect and honor. They mention also in the example of Ibn Abbas, in the other famous narration everybody will know of too, Ya Ghulam, Inni u'allimuka kalimat, when the Prophet Sallam said, Oh boy, I will teach you some words. They say again, look at the compassion of the Prophet ﷺ, Ibn Abbas, young, and the Prophet taking that time out, saying to him, my boy, I will teach you some words. I will teach you something about the religion. Give you some advice about it, some important points about it. One by one teaching from the small steps. So the scholars they give many examples besides that too. Showing the character of the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam when giving da'wah. And his persistence in giving da'wah. You look at the example of his uncle Abu Talib. The one who looked after the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam after the parents and the grandfather of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa passed away, then his uncle Abu Talib began looking after him, defended him, protected him, looked after him, took him incompletely, even had to face the punishment and the difficulty from the kuffar, because of his defense of his nephew Muhammad sallallahu sallam, Even though Abu Talib himself never became Muslim, he was a kafir. Yet the other kuffar were oppressing him because of his defense of Muhammad. But even after all that, at the very end, when Abu Talib was on his deathbed, the Prophet still trying with him went to him on his deathbed, and in the narration it mentions, he said, Ya Am, O oh my uncle, قُلْ لَا إِلَٰهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ كَلِمَةً نُحَاجُ بِهَا عند الله. Say, la إِلَٰهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ A word, something that, it will be a defense for you, something to save you. Say, لا إِلَٰهَ إِلَّا الله. At the very last moment even. When Abu Talib is on his deathbed. Not giving up in that hope of giving the da'wah. And that a person may enter into Islam. Similarly you see the example of the young Jewish boy. The same thing. The young Jewish boy. Who used to come and help the Prophet ﷺ. In chores and other things. Used to come and help the Prophet ﷺ. And do things for him. And then that young Jewish boy suddenly fell ill, seriously ill, on his deathbed about to die. And so the Prophet ﷺ went to visit him, to visit the Jewish boy, went to visit him and gave him da'wah as the Jewish boy is on his deathbed now and told him to accept Islam and so the young Jewish boy, he's a boy at the time, boy. So when the Prophet is telling him to accept Islam, the boy, instantly the first thing he did was to look across to his Jewish father who was stood right there. What am I to do? He was thinking, my father, Jewish, Jewish. And now the Prophet Sallam is telling me to become Muslim. He's worried, looks instantly first to his father. And his father says to him, Abu al-Qasim, Obey the Prophet Obey Abu Al-Qasim. And so the boy accepted Islam. He accepted even though Abu Talib did not in the end. The boy accepted Islam and the Prophet وسلم, said, Praise is to Allah who by, uh, by whom, or uh, through me, that Allah has saved you. That praise be to Allah through me he saved you that this da'wah it has come to you and you accepted before your death so a person strives strives in giving da'wah to his friends to his family a person does not lose hope particularly with his own family particularly with his own brothers and sisters and parents and uncles and aunties You do not lose hope even though it may be the case that they are in opposition to you and they don't understand what Salafiyyah is. They don't understand the way of the Sunnah properly yet. But that is the way perhaps they were raised and they were never taught any different. They never learnt the true understanding of the Quran and the Sunnah ever. So have patience with them. Have patience with your families and persist with sincerity in giving da'wah to them, in giving da'wah to those whom you love, those who are close to you as a priority from your family, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your aunties, your uncles. And then on top of that, the people besides them too. But a person needs to be patient, make dua, strive now in these days of ramadan in these prayers that we are in then has everybody made dua tonight tonight in the prayers that we've prayed now did everybody here make dua for their family at some point tonight if you didn't then why not did everybody here even make dua during the prayer tonight in prostration, an opportunity for dua, like we said in the previous reminder, or one of them, the closest a servant is to his Lord, is when you are in prostration, and it is a time of dua, being answered, more likely being answered, so use these opportunities now in dua, use these opportunities, in dua for your parents, for your family, for your relatives and be patient in giving them da'wah look at the example of the Prophet ﷺ in giving da'wah look at the examples of the Sahaba in giving da'wah understand also the principles of how to give da'wah when to prohibit something and when not these are all points that you learn through knowledge you gain through knowledge so for example there may be a case that a person says my family they don't listen to me they're not doing this they're not doing that and I keep telling them this and I keep telling them that but even in enjoining the good and forbidding the evil there are principles to be understood As the scholars, they mentioned Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Al-Qayyim, rahimahum Allah. There are four circumstances in enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. It's not just a case of somebody's doing an evil, I need to go and forbid it. It is not simply a case like that. There are four scenarios they mentioned. Maybe in the first scenario, you go and forbid that evil. And as a consequence, it goes away and goodness arises thereafter. Excellent. In that case, go and forbid the evil and join the good. In the second scenario, that evil is going to be removed, but something else is going to take its place equal and equivalent to it. In that case, the scholars say use your ijtihad in that circumstance. Whether you should go and enjoin the good and forbid the evil there or allow it to be, because even if you do, the expected and anticipated result is an equal amount of evil to what exists right now anyway. In that case, they say you make your ijtihad as to whether to do anything or to leave it be. In another circumstance, They say that when you enjoin the good and forbid the evil, there is a greater evil that arises afterwards. In that circumstance, then you would not do anything. You would not do anything. You would not go and enjoin the good and forbid the evil. So a person, he sees oppositions from his family. He sees that they are doing things against the sunnah. But use your wisdom in how you approach that, how you deal with that, how you advise them. And you must understand, not every circumstance may require that you advise them and you bring up the point. Certain circumstances may fall into categories whereby enjoining the good and forbidding the evil there is not what you're supposed to do. Because the consequence of it is something worse. The end result and the evil is something worse. More than that, it is even permissible Islamically. If the situation requires and necessity requires that you can forfeit obligations for the sake of the maslaha, for the sake of the good arising and for the sake of the benefit. They give the example of the Kaaba. The Kaaba right now, is it built upon the foundations completely of Ibrahim alayhi salam, the original foundations? The Kaaba is not built completely. You've seen the pictures of the Kaaba or you've been there, you see the semicircle on one side. That is where the Kaaba is supposed to be up to. Up to that semicircle that you see. Within that semicircle is from the Kaaba, and that's why when you do tawaf, you cannot go inside of the semicircle. But the Prophet, he did not knock down the walls and then extend them to that area. Why not? Even though that's an obligation to do so, to build the Kaaba upon its actual foundations. But instead, it's left as it is, and the semicircle is left where it is. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ said, "If we go and do that, the end result, the evil that will occur, is even worse than just leaving that situation as it is." What is the evil that will occur? That at that time, the Quraysh, the ones who had become Muslims, etc., they were new to Islam. But even before Islam, they used to have a great respect for the Kaaba. Even before the coming of the Prophet ﷺ, the Arabs used to respect and honor the Kaaba. So now, if the Prophet ﷺ came along and started knocking down the walls of the Kaaba to rebuild it, they would say, "What is going on here? We've entered into Islam, and now the Prophet is knocking down the house of Allah." So perhaps they would become confused and leave Islam, and all types of chaos may occur. Now today if you imagine if that happened If the Saudi government for example now decided Let's knock down the walls of the Kaaba and build it again The minute if they were to knock down that wall towards the semicircle The minute they do that the whole world would declare them as kufar And we need to go do jihad and take over Saudi Arabia kuffara there That's what they would do So in that type of circumstance even though that is something that should be done it the kaaba to be built upon its foundations it is something the prophet ﷺ let go because of what the consequences would be if you try to do it so sometimes with your family you might see things occurring but there's nothing you can do about it and the circumstances that will arise if you try in that situation may end up worse than what the situation is right now. So in that case, you use your wisdom in those affairs, in how you give da'wah, what you say, what you don't say. So it's important we look at the example of the Prophet ﷺ, in how he behaved with his companions, his manners, his etiquettes, what he said, when he said it, how he said it, in order that we can then be upon a better understanding and practicing of our religion just today. Earlier on, somebody sent a question, they were asking is it permissible to go to the janazah of somebody who might have been along the lines of Birelwi, Sufi, those types of things. Then the answer is yes, absolutely it is allowed. If a person dies as a Muslim bid'ah he may have been doing, but Muslim we are not talking about bid'ah Muqafira that he died as a kafir A person died as a Muslim. He may have had bid'ah, he may have been doing things in opposition to the sunnah. But Muslim though, he hasn't committed bid'ah mukaffirah. So then that type of person, it is permissible and correct to go to the janazah. But the ones in authority, the ones of status, they should not go to that janazah. That is what the scholars mentioned, look at the wisdom again. You don't abandon the janazah Upon somebody who is a Muslim At the end of the day But the people of status They can abandon it They should abandon it Because then everybody will see Look the Imam He refused to come and do the janazah And pray the janazah upon this person Because he used to be a mubtadi' Or he used to do something In opposition to the Sunnah So everybody takes admonition from that But as for the rest Go and attend the janazah. Go and attend and ask Allah to forgive him. So a person needs to have fiqh of the religion, understanding of how to practice things. And that comes by looking into the example of the Prophet wasallam, gaining knowledge, learning Qur'an, learning sunnah. That is what all of us need to do in order to protect ourselves and our families, to educate ourselves and our families. As Allah said, Nara, protect yourselves and your families from the fire. So that is where we'll round off on tonight then. Uh, until the next time.